The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. give an invitation to uh, Christina Dickey to come and share a couple of things with us. We, we celebrate uh, a very special day today. For some of you, you may be aware of uh, some of the, uh, the calendar as far as the Jewish holidays are concerned. These are holidays that are, are needing to be noticed by the church. It's very important to make note of these things for a greater understanding of who we are as believers, for a greater understanding of what God is doing in the world. And I think that uh, what she's going to bring and share with you will really be a blessing this morning as uh, she shares this and then we get into the word shortly after. Can y'all hear? Is that mic? No? Yes? Better? Yeah. Okay. So y'all remember when uh, Compton was talking about being children? Or Preston, I'm sorry. When Preston was talking to us about being little children, well, this little child of God needs a, a little boost in order to see her notes. So, are we ready for the great I am and the one who redeems to fill us and to fill this place? Because I am. I've been waiting so long and praying so much that I'm looking out at people who are warriors who are champions for God, and how is he going to increase that in us? That's what we're going to talk about today. So today is Yom Kippur, which is also known as the Feast of Atonement. It begins today at sundown, and it goes until tomorrow at sundown. Leviticus 23, 26 to 27, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, on exactly the 10th day of the seventh month of this day of atonement, it shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. In Leviticus 16, God gave instruction to Aaron how the Day of Atonement was supposed to go. Step by step, it's laid out there if you want to read Leviticus 16. In this solemn holy day, the word atonement means to cover over one's debt. In the days of Moses, Aaron, a priest, would sacrifice two male goats before God. One goat was sacrificed for a sin offering as a substitute for sinful man. Rather than man paying the price of death for his sin, the goat's blood was spilled instead. As Christians, we know that this was a foreshadowing of Jesus taking on all our sins forever when he died on the cross for us. The second goat had a different fate. It became a scapegoat. That goat was symbolically given all the sins of the state of Israel. And then someone took that goat and led it far away. 
away from the encampment of Israel into the wilderness, and that goat was to never return with the sins of Israel. We know that Jesus sacrificed himself for all of our sins, and those sins are never counted against us again. Scripture tells us in Psalm 103.12 that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, Jesus, removed our transgressions from us. Yom Kippur will be celebrated by Jews at sundown tonight until sundown tomorrow night by feasting, fasting, wearing white garments, and saying their prescribed prayers as they seek God's forgiveness and cleansing from their sins, but especially as a nation. Christians, of course, do not celebrate Yom Kippur as our Jewish brethren do, but we do rejoice in the accomplishment of atonement once and for all by the one true Lamb, Jesus Christ. The Jewish feast days were given to Israel by God. These feast days then pointed to Jesus in some way. While we as Christians are not required to celebrate Yom Kippur because we have Jesus, individually and as a community, we can participate by praying and fasting and for the sins of our nation. Does our sin have some nations we need to repent? our state, and anything else that God puts on your heart that may be personal or family that need to be repented tonight at sundown until tomorrow at sundown. What a great time to do this for our nation and our state. We know that on the cross, Jesus took on all our sins, which are totally forgiven. He paid the full debt. We as a community are so much more powerful praying for our sins and the sins of our nation than as an individual. So Compton's going to talk about that further. I'm sorry, Compton, you know what, or Preston, you know why I call you Compton? I I have a dear friend named Compton in Trinidad, and you remind me of him. So take it as a blessing. He is very good looking. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, our lamb, not only did he redeem us by paying for our debt, but he also purified us that we might once again enjoy the intimate presence of our Father now and forever. The atonement by Jesus not only secures us today, but it guarantees our future. Jesus, by his own blood, gave us eternal redemption because he is our redeemer. Friday begins the next holy day, and it is called Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T. It runs for a week. So first we do the Day of Atonement, and then we have seven days of celebration. Woo-hoo! We get to celebrate now, right? The seven days of Sukkot commemorate when God sheltered the Jews as they traveled from Egypt to the Promised Land. And we know that story. We know how God took care of 
everything the Jews needed for 40 years. The four kinds expressed the Jews' unity and belief in God's omnipresence, and we as Christians know God is omnipresent. Coming after the solemn high holy days of Rosh Hashanah and today of Yom Kippur, Sukkot is a time of joy and happiness. Why is this so important for us as Christians right now? God, through his current prophets, has been speaking about taking us into his promised land, crossing the Jordan, and slaying the giants. And y'all know the giants out there that need to be slain, that are contrary to God. So those are our giants that we're getting ready to slay. But God wants more. He wants to take us from glory to glory to glory. And it's his glory. Several of us prayed the covenant of 1607. And if you're not familiar with that covenant, it was the covenant written by Pastor Robert Hunt when he landed on the beach with his men, planted a cross, and prayed this covenant for our nation. Our nation has a sacred covenant with the Lord God from its conception. That same covenant was spoken by George Washington as he was led to defeat the strongest empire in the entire world. How was a ragtag army going to defeat that? Only by the covenant of the Lord God Most High. During all of this mess with what humanity has called COVID, and some are now calling a plague, many of us were called to pray the covenant of 1607 again, renewing our covenant with the Lord God Most High. Well, in June, God called it Command the Forward forward spelled like the beginning of a book this is your forward as a nation i'm not done with you yet america not even close but you have to agree you have to command it so june july and august was about commanding the forward but now god wants us to command his forward and what is that forward. We as believers already have the Holy Spirit, but baptism by fire is a purifying and sanctifying work, and baptism by fire is God's forward. Do you see these empty seats in here? We have often spoken of how as God brings his brokenhearted and his prodigals to us, how are we going to steward them? How are we going to receive them? Well, God has determined a soul to sit in every one of those seats, and it just isn't full yet. Yet. But it will be. Because God is saying, I want more of you. I want you to come closer, and I'm inviting you into the baptism by fire. 
What is the baptism by fire? It's a purifying and sanctifying work. It's for the purpose of God's divine glory and for the purpose of you and I to receive a higher calling in God. He's calling us to be steadfast and to press into him. And the more we press into him, the more we want to press into him. It's a glorious thing. He will take us through the storms into more glory. Baptism by fire is a process to be embraced as a sovereign work God wants to do in each one of us. Matthew 3.11 is when John the Baptist is speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, and I am not fit to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. I always thought it was the same thing, but it isn't. We have Holy Spirit. Now God's saying, I want to baptize you in fire. This is what God wants us to do now, to receive his baptism by fire, to prepare us for his glory. So imagine after that, the glory of God just radiating from us as we receive God's prodigals and his brokenhearted, and we're going to be running around as little glory lights ready to receive every soul that is meant to be in a seat. That's what God wants for us. Now, I'm an avid follower of Dutch Sheets, and many of you know that. And they have been praying during this covenant of 1607 declaration, what does God want us to do next? What, how do we prepare for this? And on Friday, he provided five steps of how we individually and even corporately take these steps. So y'all ready to hear these steps? Yeah, I'm ready to give them. Step number one, God has given us free will. He's not going to make us do anything that we don't want to do. So step number one is pray about baptism by fire. And we ourselves offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice. We surrender all to God and say, I want baptism by fire. Secondly, position ourselves by preparing our hearts and minds to receive baptism by fire. And what a perfect day in which to do this on the Day of Atonement. Start that cleansing. Start that process of asking the Lord what needs to be adjusted in my life. The Lord asks us to lay ourselves bare for him in submission. Draw closer to him through prayer, communion, fasting, and just being still in his presence and knowing that God is God. Do a spiritual checkup 
ask Holy Spirit if there's anything in us that needs to be repaired. Are we holding on to anger, forgiveness, unforgiveness, bitterness? Whatever it may be, give it up to God. He can, he can get rid of that. He can wash it out. And this is the perfect day through tomorrow in which to do that. God wants us to be part of the process. Ask him for baptism by fire. The fourth one is worship. It isn't the praise itself that God wants. He's wanting us, the seekers of worship, whom he loves and wants an intimate relationship with, to come to him. How do we worship God? We can worship him in many ways, through service to others, dancing and singing, whatever it is, prayer, fasting. God knows our heart. That's all that matters. He knows your heart, and he knows that you're seeking him. That is pure worship, and that's what he's looking for. God can and does speak to us in worship both individually and corporately, and his presence intensifies. Lastly, wait. In second chapter of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 people, they had been waiting together for 10 days. I wonder who did the cooking a lot of people for 10 days 120 people for 10 days waiting together so just because we ask for holy spirit and baptism by fire don't always expect it to be right away always remember god's timing is perfect but it's never late and it will come at the perfect time god is telling us to take the steps and wait with expectation for baptism by fire. Waiting upon the Lord draws us closer to him. This baptism by fire may be a very different experience for each one of us, but we can know and expect that it's going to be glorious. It will be glorious when we receive baptism by fire. To God be all glory. Amen. You guys can, and you're welcome to give her a little applause. That's not easy. You may not realize it, but you're a pretty tough crowd, actually. Uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful, uh, Christina, that you would bring that. And I, I do know that those holidays need to go uh, uh, noted by the church. And for our uh, just our purpose to participate along with what God's doing. Uh, you may have, because of the information there and the, uh, the, uh, the, the time that was taken to share a lot of those thoughts, I want to reiterate that call to join in celebrating that uh, 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 fasting and feasting with, with some measure of participation. It is from sundown tonight to sundown tomorrow. If you choose to uh, fast something, if that means cutting out, 
food or, or some other element of uh, uh, some uh, pleasure that might be cut out. Uh, it's a good thing to do that, not because it makes you a stronger or better Christian, but because it's a reminder of the weakness of the flesh. It's a reminder of the things that can get in the way. And I want to encourage you to keep that in mind. One of the reasons for Yom Kippur is this day of, of repentance. I mean, we can talk about the fasting and the way people participate and the garments they wear, and they all have representation. She mentioned uh, the history with the goats and the things like that. And that stuff can sound really foreign, but when you begin to see the imagery and the symbolism of those things, it begins to, to animate what we celebrate in Jesus. And that's really the point. So I wanted to have Christina share that because of her passion for these things. And, I, and you can hear the passion. You've got a wonderful voice to, uh, to speak, and I could listen to you all day long. That was really great. The, the, the elements that are in there that I'd like to draw out to speak about, and we're going to have the world's quickest message ever. I think it's really interesting that we talk about, you know, baptism by fire on a day when the AC is struggling, right? Are you a little warm? Every time I heard the word fire, I thought, like, yeah, I'm feeling it, all right? I've, I, <laughs> you got to have fun with it. Yeah, amen is right. But the idea of, of repentance. Now, here's what's really interesting about this. These, this is a group of people that are praying on behalf of an entire nation. And we have that same call. We're meant to be just like Jesus. Now, what is Jesus if not an intercessor? Right now, there are two ministries going on in the heavens. One is the ministry of intercession. That's Jesus interceding on behalf of you. His blood is constantly testifying on behalf of you, saying, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And then you have the work of the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren. Now, he's standing there saying, guilty, 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 guilty. Well, I got news for you. The blood wins. But if we're called to be just like Jesus, then we're called to be intercessors. We're called to stand in the gap. We're called to pray for our nation, our nation's leaders. We're called to pray uh, for the nation of Israel and the, the nations of the world. We're called to be intercessors. Now, this time of intercession is specifically geared toward repentance, right? It's this day of atonement where we want to cast down wicked ways and evil and we want to take on righteousness. So I want to preach a very quick message on repentance. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to a scripture here in a minute. But before we do that, here's a few things you're going to find. Uh, one we're going to find is what Jesus preaches and why. What Jesus preaches and why. Another thing you're going to find is what God is looking for. I'm going to talk a little faster today. You might have to write a little faster if you're taking notes. What Jesus preaches and why, then what God is looking for. And then a third thing is what God wants from you. What God wants from you. What he's looking for from your life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 17. I told you we're going to find what Jesus preaches and why. You're going to find it here in Matthew 4:17. Now remember, we're touching on repentance today because of this day of atonement and our call to repent on behalf of the sins, uh, uh, on behalf of a nation for the sins of a nation. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 4:17. It's recorded that from that day, Jesus began to preach and say, and now here's what he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Basically what's being revealed here is that Jesus who preaches a lot of messages and shares a lot of wisdom and brings the truth of the kingdom of God into the world for all of our benefit opens up these messages with the purpose for this message. That purpose is repentance. It's the reason why he opened his mouth in the first place. That's why the scripture would tell us from that day forward when he began to speak, he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No matter what it was that he spoke about, the purpose was to bring about repentance. And here's why. I told you we're going to move fast. The reason for this is because repentance gets noticed. It does something. 
Let me give you an interesting passage of scripture. See if you don't find the word repent here as I read. Luke 15, 10. Jesus says, I tell you, there's joy amidst all, excuse me, amongst all of the angels over one sinner who repents. The angels rejoice. They, they, and why would they rejoice if they didn't see the value of this wonderful work, the value of repentance? Uh, here's another uh, element that we need to find in the scripture. I did tell you we're going to find what God is looking for. I want to give you a passage of scripture, and then we're going to read between the lines. Now, before I give you this passage of scripture, I got to tell you a little bit about my upbringing in church, right? I mean, like, Church was meant to be this place where there was community, where there were like-minded people that had faith to see God do great things. And I've seen wonderful things take place in the church community. I've seen people who had a, a need for some kind of miracle, received that miracle, and it's just been really amazing to see. But miracles are listed throughout the scripture as something that people have witnessed, but they have a purpose behind them. Like there's a reason why, as Jesus ministers, there are signs and wonder, wonders. There's, there's incredible and powerful things that take place. It's not just because God's showing off. It's actually meant to inspire something. And if we miss the point of what those signs and wonders and miracles are meant to inspire, then we can become a people that are just you know, excited by signs and ones and miracle, signs, wonders, and miracles, and then we miss the point. And I don't want to be one of those people. I want to get the point. If God's doing it on purpose, I want to know what that purpose is so that I can receive the benefit of it or participate in it. So here's a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 11. It's verse 20. And you've got to understand, leading into this one little passage of Scripture, Jesus has been ministering, he's been preaching, and as he's preaching, he does these great and powerful works. People that are sick get healed. Uh, there are miraculous things take place, like you have masses of people fed with one person's lunch. I mean, all kinds of stuff that would have just been incredible to witness. To have been present and to seen these things would have been, you know, at, <laughs> it would have been something that you would write home about. It would get your attention. Now, the question is, why is God after your attention? What's the point of the sign and wonder? Well, let me read this to you, and we'll see if we can't just read between the lines together. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. And it begins by saying this, Then Jesus began to, the word is denounce. Uh, it's not the word rebuke, it's denounce. It means like there's a frustration here. People have missed the point. And it's being identified. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Now, I have to pause right there. And I think about my church upbringing and how, you know, I was, was led to, to grow in faith and to trust and believe God for miracles. I would think that if you saw a bunch of cities where most of Jesus' miracles were done, that would have meant that there were a lot of faith-filled people there witnessing the miracles and the wonders of God. But now you see Jesus saying, hey, guys, I've been doing miracle after miracle after miracle, and we have a problem here. Let's see what the problem is. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because the people did not repent. Now, I take that passage of Scripture and, and begin to think about it, and I realize something. The signs and the wonders, the miracles, all of those things are meant to bring about a result. That result is meant to be repentance. If it doesn't produce repentance, then what's the point? Other than it's just a heck of a show. See that guy that can't walk? He can walk again. Everybody, let's give him a round of applause, you know. Jesus, good job, Jesus. Way to heal that guy. 
The reality is these are meant to inspire something where I see, no, that's the kingdom of God, and I need in that. I need that to be a part of my life, and I will do whatever it takes. I will cut anything out that is hindering me from walking in that authority and that power so that I can have those things that God has called me to have as his son. That's why Jesus would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word for can be a hang-up to us. We don't talk like that. You don't sit in here right now and think, preach, for I am hungry and I would like to leave to eat lunch. But you can interchange the word because. It's the same word, right? For and because. They're interchangeable. Now, if I just change that and I say because, it begins to kind of stick in our heads. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the reason why you need to repent. And then the question is, well, well great. Well, what is repentance? Because I do want the kingdom of heaven. I do want freedom from, from poverty and sickness and disease. I want the, the prosperity of your kingdom in every aspect in my life and in my mind. I want my thoughts to change, my heart to change, my attitudes to change. I want to be like Jesus. I want the things of the kingdom of God. So how do I repent? You've got to know what repentance is. It's change. That's literally what it means. It's, it's not just an apology. It's not just, hey, God, I'm a sinner, and I'm really sorry about that. We're just going to have to deal with it, though. It means change. It means, hey, the things that I'm doing that are corrupt, I'm going to stop doing them. And I'm going to start doing what's right. In fact, you see the word return attached to the word repent often throughout the Scripture. Repent and return. Repent and return. Stop doing what's wrong and get back to doing what's right. Change. It means to change. Jesus is literally standing before he begins to preach, letting people know, hey, I'm about to share with you words of truth and wisdom. Now, these are meant to inspire change because the kingdom of God is present. We don't have to live our lives subject to fear and slavery and bondage and sin and corruption anymore, but we can have the kingdom of God, which the scripture promises consists of all joy and righteousness and peace. I can make the changes so that my life is identified and defined by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. You know what makes a kingdom? A king can't have a kingdom without a king it's Jesus change because I'm here to lead you and guide you in everything you do I'm here to give you counsel instruction direction forgiveness change change is a terrifying thing it's 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 terrifying because there's some elements that get in the way of change I wrote a few down now these aren't absolute right but these are things that can make change hard. Now, remember, we're talking about repentance, and we're called to intercede. We're called to be in this time of repentance for our nation. And I, I hope you participate in, in what was shared earlier with Yom Kippur to come together and to just say, you know, we're going to take 24 hours. It's actually 25. But we're going to take this time, and we're going to pray, and we're going to repent on behalf of our nation for all the corruption that exists. What a powerful and wonderful calling. But that's going to mean change, and change can be terrifying, especially at the individual and the personal level. You know, I don't have any problem asking God to fix the nation, right? Because I'm just a drop in the bucket in this country. Just one of 300 million-something faces. 
we start dealing with my issues, my heart, my corruption, my error, my transgression, my iniquity, we start dealing with those things and it gets terrifying really fast. Change. These are some things that hinder change. One is going to be the mystery of change. Change obviously means it's not staying the same, right? Is that the most profound thing you've heard today? Change is not staying the same. If it stays the same, nothing changed. So there's got to be something that is going to be different. That introduces mystery. What is it? That can make change terrifying. I don't know if I want to make changes in my life because I don't know what that looks like. What would my future look like if I gave up that? What would my future feel like if I let go of that? If I changed, how would things look? And that's terrifying to me to have the unknown and the mystery. So it might keep me from changing. It might make me hold on to that one thing that's actually holding me back. But because I can't see past that one thing, because I'm so myopic that I can't see past the mystery of what things might be like, then I hold on. Here's a passage of scripture for you to take. If there's mystery keeping you from change, Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11, it's God speaking to you. And here's what God has to say to you. I know the plans that I have for your life. That means you're not an accident. That means that you're not being dealt with in real time. It's not like, oh my gosh, you messed up again. How are we going to fix it this time? I know the plans I have for you. I've known them from the very beginning. You are on purpose. You are intentional. You are powerful. And you are released at this time in this place for a purpose. I know the plans I have for you. Now listen to what kind of plans they are. Plans for prosperity, not disaster. Oh man, how liberating is that? My plans for you are for you to do something great. Not fall to pieces. Not become a mockery. But, but to become a, a testimony of something powerful and wonderful. I know the plans I have for you, for prosperity, not disaster. And then now here's the reason for this prosperous planning, to give you a future and a hope. Let me tell you something. All the mystery that would keep me from repenting is shattered by the idea that a sovereign God who loves me and has my best interest in mind has plans for my life to prosper, to do great, to give me a future and a hope. Another thing that can keep us from change if we're limited in our, our capacities to see past it is going to be having no direction. Well, yeah, I want to change. I just don't know how. I know it's wrong. I need to stop doing it, but I don't know how to stop. I wouldn't know any other way but this way. This is the only way I've ever known. If we become stuck and limited by that kind of thinking, then change will be interrupted. It won't come to pass, and there'll be this limitation upon the presence of the kingdom of heaven in and through our lives. We've got to see past the mystery, knowing that God has plans for us, and we've got to understand that not having any direction is not how we're called to live. Here's the passage of scripture that you can lean on. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Isaiah 30, verse 21, it's a promise from God to you. You can take this into your prayer life, and you can desire God's direction in your life based on this scripture. Here's the promise. You, who? You. You will hear a voice. You'll hear a voice saying, this is the way. Walk in it. 
whenever you turn to the right or to the left. That's God's promise that I will never be without direction. When I come to a place where I know there's got to be a change and I just don't know how to do it, I can go to him and say, Father, you promised to be a voice guiding my life, telling me which way to turn. I know this, I can't keep going straight. i got to turn, right or left. If I keep going straight, I'm going to run this thing right into the dirt. I need your voice. I need that direction so that I can bring about the repentance that you've called me to, the change that you've called me to, that opens up the doors for your kingdom to flow in and through my life. There's another thing that can keep us from making the changes that we know we need to make. And we talked about mystery. You know, we need to understand God has a plan for our life. Not having any direction, God's promised to give us direction. He's given us a king to lead us and guide us in Jesus. Now, another thing that can keep us from making changes that we know we need to make, habits. Your habits. And that sounds so cliche, doesn't it? But let me tell you something. I've got news for you. You're probably not going to want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because I don't like feeling, you know, weak in any way. We are creatures of habit. How many of you sat in the same seat you're sitting in right now last week? It's your seat? You've got your name on it? I got stories about that. I mean, I have. I've been booted out of seats before in churches. You know, as my seat. Oh, my gosh. We're creatures of habit. And now there's reasons for that because we, we want to be safe. We want to feel safe all the time. I don't care how courageous you are or how bold you are. Safety is a priority, and you will do things without even thinking about it because you know that's safe. I've done it before, and I'm still here. I sat here last week, and, and nothing weird happened, so I'm going to sit here again this week. Right? I mean, I know it's a goofy example, but it's real. We want to be safe, and so we get into habits. Those people haven't hurt me, so I hang out with them. Yeah, but they're bad for you. Yeah, but, but they receive me. They accept me as I am, and they haven't hurt me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out with them. I do that over there because it hasn't destroyed me yet. I feel safe there, so I'm going back there. Man, we're creatures of habit, big time. And that can be terrifying when we know we need to change. God, I know I've got to change this. But it's a habit. So here's a passage of Scripture that you can take to address your habits. The habits that keep you from the change and the repentance that you know you need to have in your life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Here's how it reads. Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, that means if anyone's a Christian, if you've surrendered to, to receiving God's gift of mercy in your life, you acknowledge Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Lamb of God, the one that came to take away all of God's wrath for your sins, and that God raised him up from the dead to testify of God's love and his power and the wonders of holiness. All of those things, right? If you're a Christian, if any one of you is in Jesus Christ, you are a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, new things come. Scratch out the word things in your Bible and write habits. Old habits pass away and new habits come. 
all of these things that I'm so used to doing, where I feel safe and where it's just become routine, it's just kind of the way I live my life. So, yeah, I accept God's grace, but I really don't want to change that because I'm so used to it and I'm so comfortable with it. My old habits are meant to pass away. And I love that it says pass away and not just go away, right? Not just go away. It's not old things disappear. Pass away means like there's a transition here. I've grown and matured. There are old habits. I'm still waiting to see them pass away. But I have the promise that new things will come. And that's really where the promise is in this passage. That as I abandon all of these old ways that keep me from changing and limit the activity of the kingdom of God in my life, if I'll let go of those things, the promise is new things will come. Wonderful things. I just need to let go of the old things. That's a promise that I can act on. God, I know you love me. I know that you haven't called me to just be embarrassed and ashamed and to let go of all this stuff and just be exposed, but that you've called me to let go of all this stuff so that you can bring new things into my life. Things that are of your kingdom. Things that bring you honor and glory. Things that protect my life from destruction. Things that fulfill my heart and my mind, my life. I want your new things. And because of your promise to bring new things, I will not hold on to the old. Man, what a great thing. And it opens up the door for change. Remember, change because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our call to intercede for our nation over Yom Kippur, our call to intercede for the whole world over Yom Kippur is our equipping to call out for change. Father, we repent on behalf of this nation. Let a change sweep over this land. An awareness of the difference between darkness and light and sickness and death and life and prosperity. And let us choose life. Let a conviction rise in the hearts of men and women. Let truth prevail. Let me tell you something. You run out of stuff to pray, just pray that. God, let truth prevail. Let truth prevail. Let truth prevail. Expose lies and let truth prevail. great thing. I mentioned to you we're going to find what God wants from you. Before we close with that passage of scripture, there's a passage of scripture that I want to offer to you because it's really important for necessary, or it's necessary, excuse me, for, for repentance, which, you know, again, is just change, right? There's a motivation that takes place inside the heart that, that pushes us to these changes, that can even equip us to overcome the fear of, of the mysterious and not having any direction or, or the habits that we have formed in our lives. And you know what? It's not something that's going to sound churchy. You're going to hear it and you're going to think, well, I liked everything you said until you said that. Write this word down for your notes. Sorrow. Sorrow. It's a powerful word, isn't it? I mean, I'm watching the clock because we're running late. It's hot. You're hungry. I get it. But you've got to let that word sink in. I never once thought that Jesus would bring sorrow into my life. Let me read this passage of Scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. It identifies two kinds of sorrow, okay? 
I want to read it, and then we'll, we'll break it down very quickly. It says, for there is a sorrow according to the will of God. That means God wills this sorrow on your life. Wrap your mind around that. There is a sorrow that is according to the will of God, and it produces repentance without regret. It produces change without regret. There is a sorrow that's according to the will of God, and it produces repentance without regret and leads to salvation. That doesn't just mean leads to being born again. It means leads to deliverance from that thing that is beating you down. But then you have victory. And then there's another kind of sorrow. And it says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Well, I could take that passage of Scripture and pray on it all day. God, I, I want to have the right kind of sorrow. I don't want to live a life of shame and depression. I don't want to hate myself. I don't want to think suicidal thoughts. I don't want to go dark. But I want that sorrow that moves me to change, that transcends my fear of the mysterious, my lack of direction, and my bad habits, that makes me rise above those things because I'm not going to take it anymore. And lead me to that place of change, that place of change that leads to victory. That place of change that promises to set me free from regret and leads to your deliverance. Bet you didn't think when you came to church you'd go home praying for God to give you sorrow. <laughs> I said we're going to find out what God wants from you. I'm going to pull this from the Psalms, and, and we're going to you know, pick and choose what we read here for the purpose of time. But somebody who is in the midst of needing to repent. Now, this psalm is historically recorded as a psalm that King David wrote, and he wrote it when he was convicted for you know, sinful acts and, and corrupt acts that were really horrendous. We get hung up on maybe the perverse side of it, but the reality is it involved murder and scandal. I mean, it is as slimy as it gets. And now here he is having to deal with his actions, knowing that he has made choices that were destructive, not only to his life, but to an entire nation. And as he's dealing with this, realizing, I need some old things to pass away, and I need some new things to come. I've got to have change, because if I keep living my life like this, it's not going to end well. Here's what he says. It's from Psalm 51. I have written down here verses 10 through 13, and then we skip to verse 17. So I'm just going to read what I have in my notes. Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. Don't take your spirit away from me. Don't take your presence from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit so that I might even teach those who are in rebellion your ways and so that they might turn also and be converted to you. And then here's what he says in verse 17. I told you before we're going to find out what God wants from you. Verse 17 says, The sacrifice that God requires is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will never despise. Man, I've come to church all of my life. I don't think I've ever been instructed 
to have my heart be broken. But yet, as we're called to intercede for change, as we're called to intercede and repent for a nation, as we step into that called time of fasting for Yom Kippur, should you choose to participate, and I hope you do, that's a great way to open your time of prayer during that fasting. Father, break my heart for this country. Break my heart for the divorce rate. Break my heart for the rate of abortions. Break my heart for the abused children. Break my heart for the human trafficking. Break my heart for the fentanyl pouring over the borders. Break my heart for all of the drug and alcohol abuse. Break my heart for the filth on TV. Break my heart over all of this stuff that is destroying your beloved. A lot of fire inside of me to act. And let my prayers be released with passion and zeal. Let it have a, mo a motivation other than tradition or habit. Let it not just be religious obligation, but let it be real because my heart is broken for this country that once stood testifying for freedom of religion and now boasts separation of church and state. What happened to us? Break my heart for these matters. And let my 24-hour, 25-hour fast turn into a lifestyle. But I'd be a man just like Jesus is described. Listen to this. He was described as a man of sorrows. It doesn't mean that he was depressed. It just meant that everywhere he looked, his heart broke for what he saw. When he looked at men and women that had a powerful call on their life to do great things in the kingdom of God, and he saw it being wasted away, it broke his heart. And it's the reason why he could intercede. The reason why he could act. God, make me just like Jesus. When I look around, let my heart break for what I see. And let there be a motivation in me to act. There's a reason why God requires a broken heart. You'll find the answer in Luke 4.18. You've got a King James Version especially, because the wording is perfect. The reason why God would require a broken heart is because Jesus heals the brokenhearted. If I want the healing of Jesus Christ in my life, I need to bring him a broken heart. Let me bring you my broken heart so that you can fix it. So that you can repair everything that's been damaged. All of the rejection, all of the hurt, all of the wound, all of the suffering, all of the nonsense and nastiness that has me in a dark place. Let me bring it to you. And let it be healed so that I can go and minister in the power and the authority of your spirit just like I've been called to so that I can intercede just like Jesus so that I too can be a man of sorrows not meaning I'm depressed but meaning everywhere I look when I see people suffering my heart breaks and I act pretty awesome huh I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning I want to pray over us Most of the time when we're faced with the concept of repentance, it's just kind of an exposure of sin. And oftentimes it does consist of that. But that sorrow that God wills, 
that is without regret. What a wonderful and poetic way to reveal that truth. To set us free from like the fear of, of, of shame and to be released into the power of change. That God would introduce something into our lives that could bring us to a place where we're motivated beyond the mystery of change. We're, we're not limited by a lack of direction. Where we're not bound by our old habits. But where we can actually do the things that make a difference. That let old things pass away. And that open up the door for those new things to come. That's really what we need. I want to pray over us, and it's going to be twofold. I want to pray over us because we need this personally, but not just so we can have it in our lives. I want to pray over us so that we can take this into that Yom Kippur holiday, so that we can participate in that 25-hour focus to, to repent. So there where you're at, I'm going to pray over us. As a pray, you're welcome to be in an attitude of receiving or, or simply agreement, however you choose. I have no doubt that not one person in the room could stand without being affected by the words that we've shared this morning. I want to see God do something with those words beyond a message, but to actually affect our lives. So there where you're at, I want to pray. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word of truth. And we thank you for the call to change. Let repentance become uh, desirable in our lives, that we would see the call to change, that we would lay down all of the apprehension that we would have. Let our hearts break for the things that we see around us in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And as we turn our eye to the nation, open up our, our, our eyes and our understanding and our spirit to be released, to minister at the full capacity that you've released us to by your Holy Spirit, to stand in the gap just like Jesus. You are our Father. Teach us to be intercessors. That we wouldn't be subjected to the learned behavior of others, but that we would be led and we would be guided by your spirit in these things and let it be powerful and effective that we could stand just like your prophets of old, the prayers of a righteous man availing much and let that happen for your glory here and now. And lead us to a place where we see the value of your kingdom and we surrender our hearts to change. Let every mind in every heart, come to know that sorrow that comes with no regret. Set us free from depression and darkness and lead us into salvation that we might know the change that makes us just like Jesus. We bless your name and we thank you for that mighty and wonderful call. And we accept it and with great anticipation celebrate your spirit moving in and through our lives for your glory. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all the saints declare, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.